0: This is Carpe Consensus. Join hosts Ben Schiller and Danny Nelson as they seize the world of crypto.
1: And hello and welcome to Carpe Consensus. This is a podcast from the Coindesk podcast network and I am Ben Schiller and I am the features editor here at Coindesk and joining me today is Danny Nelson.
0: Hi Danny. Hello and I am not the features editor. I think I'm the managing editor of data and tokens but everything's always in flux here. Who knows maybe I'm just call me senior reporter Danny Nelson.
1: Yeah, you're pretty senior and uh, an important figure here at CoinDesk, which is a, a ship that's still sailing along despite a few ructions recently.
0: How are you holding up, Danny? You know, I have this wonderful bottle of High West bourbon. Not a sponsor of the show. Hopefully, they'll become one one day. It's helping me get through these bear market blues. I guess I could say.
1: That's right. We've all got to struggle on, uh, intoxicating ourselves as best we can.
0: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so, so what do we have on the agenda this week, Danny? Take us inside the
0: newsroom. Well, before we step inside the newsroom, I want to step outside for a bit. Oh. I want to hear why you um, weren't here last week, Ben. Oh, good Lord. Could you share with me and the audience what you were up to? Stuck in the mud, maybe. I was
1: actually uh, on international news, as it were, attending Mm. uh, what is known as Burning Man 2023, which is an annual event in the Nevada desert, which was quite the escapade this year because of unseasonable rain falling there. First time in 24 years of that great event, and it turned the Playa, as it's known into a quagmire, which stopped all vehicles, including the uh, port-a-potty vans, from um, coming on site and doing what they needed to do. We ran out of uh, food, ran out of Wi-Fi and phone access, and uh, there was a potential Lord of the Flies situation. I didn't quite come to that, but it was certainly a grueling and physically demanding experience, although I had a great, great, great time, and I would highly recommend the event to anyone uh, if you've got the stomach for it.
0: So, Ben, was this your first burn? It was my first burn, yeah. Uh, did you adopt a player name? What was it? Uh, I was known as Shillington. So uh, Shillington. Oh my god!
1: You don't actually adopt a name. Someone has to give you the name, and then you adopt it for
0: yourself. So you can't just call yourself Danny or something. Very good. Now, Ben, I hate to ask this, but you know, this is a crypto podcast. At least by its name, it is. Was there a big crypto scene there? Like, how can you uh, pay in Bitcoin if you have no Wi-Fi?
1: Well, first of all, there is no money at all so everything is about gifting so you can go around for instance with your cup and get free drinks and free whatevers and there's no exchange of, of money so but there are a lot of crypto people there There are a lot of crypto talks about blockchain decentralization and i actually saw a lot of kind of similarities or parallels between crypto and the burning man ethos it's very much uh, you know hyper individualistic it's about helping yourself preserving yourself first before uh, helping others and you kind of got this hyper Communitarian vibe as well, which is very crypto as, as well. So I can see a lot of the, the values of Burning Man and, and
0: crypto kind of intertwining, which is which was interesting. Except for that part about no money, right? Because crypto is all about new forms of money, and Burning Man's about stepping away from that and uh, becoming one with something uh, different. I think I don't know. I've never been. I'd like to go.
1: It's it's certainly very interesting. Yeah, I mean it's about you know hyper self reliance, self expression, and inclusion, and Doing away with money, although you know, although there's no money, it is quite capitalistic in terms of the exchange that's going on. So it's like it is sort of a marketplace of innovators, it's kind of like swapping services and and um, whatever with, with one another. So that's kind of capitalistic. How many uh, pairs of shoes did you lose in the mud? That's a good question. So I mean, the mud was so deep that if you had a boot on, as I did, you kind of got you know a double boot, as it were. So it was like your boot and then kind of a foot of mud underneath and it was kind of impossible to walk anywhere because you would kind of get this kind of huge lump of muddy plier on, on, on your foot. So it was a real struggle to walk around. So a lot of people just took to being barefoot or in kind of plastic bags around their feet. So that was kind of easier to walk around like that. On the other hand, it kind of brought everyone together, you know. So, I mean, people were sort of doing their own thing and partying, taking drugs and whatever. And this sort of extreme event did kind of bring our camp and i think other camps together to kind of uh, work through it so it was kind of interesting to see people in extreme circumstances
0: and how they reacted and some people freaked out and some people worked and worked it out well ben i have to say i'm very jealous of you i really would like to get out to my first burning man um, a cousin of mine goes every year he's on the psych team helping people who are going through mental crises which is uh oh. Quite an important role when you have seventy thousand people on mushrooms Absolutely. in the desert. Uh, yeah. So I've heard a lot of really amazing stories and scary ones too. It's
1: it's a really intense experience and it's a real kind of uh, trial of the mind and the the body. It's kind of physically demanding and I you know I kind of cried a couple of times because I just broke down <laughs> in um, from the kind of stress of it all. But uh, you kind of come through it and you can by being stripped of everything you know money, water food, everything that's kind of comfortable in your life and you're, you're in this place, just with these people, you kind of learn something about yourself and something about, you know, what matters. So uh, it's kind of
0: interesting. Well, uh, with any luck, we'll be recording next year's podcast from Burning Man. Now, that would be a good idea. Let's do it, Danny. Let's get an RV and go out there and record. I just have having like Breaking Bad flashbacks right now. You and me in an RV, I feel like, well, do you know chemistry? I certainly don't. Not really.
1: But uh, if you're interested in chemistry, I'm sure there are other chemists that will uh, be on hand for
0: you. We'll have to save the uh, methamphetamine revival for another episode. But this one, we're going to get inside crypto. We're going to talk about North Korea. We're going to talk about nouns NounsDAO. We're going to talk about all the different ways that people can lose their money and their shirt, at least in the playa mod, in cryptocurrency. So Ben, where are we starting off this show?
1: I think we're starting off with Lazarus, which is a infamous hacking group, been responsible for many hacks before this. And now, apparently, according to a report in Coindesk last week, it stole another $41 million from a crypto gambling
0: site. So you actually
1: wrote the story, so maybe you can fill us in on the details
0: here. Yeah, so this story once again showcases the Proficiency that North Korea's state sponsored hackers have at crypto hacking. Now, they're not hacking the blockchain and stealing cryptocurrency from, let's say, the Ethereum chain. But what they're doing is targeting these companies and these protocols, these smart contracts that hold cryptocurrency and finding different ways to get the money out. And this is such a big problem. It's ballooned into a couple percentage points of North Korea's total GDP, can be measured simply in how much crypto it steals every year. And in this latest hack, I'm not fully sure on the the technical details, but what's important to know is that the Lazarus Group, according to uh, US federal officials, somehow got access to the private keys of stake.com, which is a crypto gambling website, and stole $41 million across a variety of chains. So once again, we're seeing the DPRK allegedly, although I don't really, I'm not so worried about uh, the DPRK suing me for. Uh, libel. So we'll just say Kim Jong-un personally hacked stake.com. Just kidding. DPRK is really good at hacking crypto. It's pretty easy when there are so many companies that have different levels of security backing them up. And here we see they took $41 million. Now, Ben, what are you doing to protect yourself against the North Korean crypto hack threat?
1: um i guess i'm using a cold wallet or i'm
0: uh, staying away from crypto altogether that's probably the safest thing to do uh, honestly that is probably the safest thing to do altogether because like i said earlier these hackers are going after everything and everyone if it's a bridge that is locking crypto up on one side issuing new on the other well they'll, they'll steal the crypto from the first side of the bridge if it's an exchange well they'll try to get access to the private keys if it's a smart contract they'll look for a bug and exploit the bug
1: what about this for an argument though, Danny? I mean, uh, it's easy to kind of say, oh, these hackers are so bad and they're, they're evil and you know, they're leeching off these successful websites that are going about their business. But aren't they also doing a kind of hygiene job here of cleaning up flaws and weaknesses in, in systems that need to be cleaned up? Isn't there a, an argument that hacking has a kind of beneficial, long-term benefit to crypto? Well,
0: I guess I can kind of agree with your argument like, it's important for people to remember that you have to be very careful. You have to tell your employees, don't open phishing emails. Don't be handing out passwords. Double, triple check your code. But if we're going to go on that that hygiene analogy, like these dental hygienists are finding cavities everywhere they go, and it's making the industry hurt in a huge way. You basically have these hackers that, as their full-time job, just focus on exploiting. And yes, it's good because they're well i don't wouldn't say it's good but they are exposing a lot of flaws in people's security setups and i guess that's valuable but on the other hand i mean it's at a huge cost right these billions of dollars that are being stolen are according to the un and to the us government the dprk is using the, this money to fund its nuclear weapons program so that's a pretty lofty price to pay nuclear proliferation just to uh, clean up the crypto act
1: how do we know it's going towards uh, nuclear stuff? Can it just be going towards uh,
0: the sage dictator's uh, Lamborghini fleet? I mean, how do we know? You know, we, we don't know, right? We're just taking what the government says at face value here. So I, they maybe they're not building nukes with the $40 million they stole from stake.com, but the government says they are. And until uh, North Korea gives us a reason to think it's not going to just hack crypto, I think we can just assume the worst from them.
1: So, Danny, uh, Lazarus Group, they were the ones that were involved with Tornado Cash, right? That's the mixer, the Ethereum mixer that was indicted by the US government. Uh, Is there a connection here?
0: Well, so there is through the Lazarus Group. Just to remind our listeners, the Lazarus Group has stolen all this cryptocurrency. If you steal, let's say, $10 million in Ether from point A, you can't just go to Coinbase and sell it, because Coinbase will realize that it's stolen. What you're going to need to do is to launder it, to obfuscate its path, to hide the fact that it was stolen. And a popular way to do that is um, the Ethereum blockchain has been to send it through a mixing service like Tornado Cash, which jumbles up lots of people's money to oversimplify things and sends it out. Once it's all jumbled up, it's really hard for an exchange to say that the money was stolen. Now, they'll still see it's from Tornado Cash, but that's another problem. Now, the government, the federal government, has gone after Tornado Cash, alleging it has violated sanctions for facilitating these um, transactions from the North Koreans. That's a huge case that could have a lot of implications on what constitutes the First Amendment, whether you can sanction code, all these big questions. At this point, this specific instance with Stake.com, I don't know if they've sent any money through Tornado Cash, but it just goes to show. The gravity of the situation here, like these guys, these, the North Korean hackers, the Lazarus Group, they're not stopping. They're not waiting for the indictment, to, for the charges to play out in court, because they don't need to. They can just keep stealing crypto and selling it wherever they're able to. All right, Danny, uh, thanks very much. Let's move on to our next segment then. All right, picture this, Ben. It's 11 p.m. You're getting ready to go to bed. It's been a long, long day. You had a long dinner. You crawl into bed open up x.com because you just need one more dopamine hit. Ugh. And you see the worst the worst possible thing, a piece of news. You see a piece of news. You see that NounsDAO, a pretty well-known, well-regarded DAO that issues these pixels, these JPEGs to the crypto community, is doing a rage quit. And a rage quit, dear listeners, that's something we've talked about before. It is when activist investors who want to get money out of protocols basically stage a sort of coup in order to get their money out. And now it's a little different because it sort of took the complaints of some of its community and worked it into how the DAO operates. Instead of, in like in most cases, you have this subset of investors who get very angry and just spam the discord. And at a certain point, people who founded the protocol, just give it and say, fine, take this money and go. What happened with NounsDAO is really cool. NounsDAO's developers said, all right, well, we're going to create a new system whereby people can voice their desire for a rage quit. And this will be embedded in our contract, in our smart contract, like a sort of constitution. And if 20% of all Nouns NFTs say, we want out, well, then they can leave and they can take 20% of the treasury with them. And that's what happened this past weekend. 20% of Noun's NFTs signaled, we want to leave, and now they're leaving.
1: So was this a coordinated effort? I mean, was it like the developers developed a kind of exit module and then these people took it or was it merely sort of happenstantial?
0: Well, this I've been aware of this one for a little bit. I've not been in the Discord, so I don't know the play-by-play, but For months now, there's been this talk of creating a rail to facilitate investor exit from the project, and this was much debated. It was voted on. It was a very formal process, right? This was not some subterfuge late in the night. The only thing that happened late in the night was me deciding at 11 p.m., oh, I need to write this story. But this has been a long time coming, and it has happened. What is most surprising now is maybe not the fact that it happened, but how popular it is. At my last check a couple hours ago, and we're recording on Monday, September 11th, 40% of NounsDAOs, of, of NounsDAO nouns NFTs, these cutesy JPEG pixel whatever things, are part of the fork, are part of the rage quit, are saying, we want our value of the treasury. That's 40% of the project. That's 40% of the project's treasury that's about to walk out the door, which has pretty big implications. And I don't know if NounsDAO if the developers really thought that it would be this popular but you know this is this is evidence that i guess a DAO working as it should there was calls for change the change was implemented in a very formal process and people are playing by the rules and getting what they want so now DAO is a pretty uh, prominent entity and you know it was on
1: Coinless, you wrote about it uh, do you think this is going to lead to other copycat sort of rage quits and this is going
0: to be a, a trend that we're going to see going forward Well, there maybe there's a possibility that the way Nounstow has gone about this could proliferate. Like to the credit of Nounstow developers, they heard people's calls for change and they implemented it through even creating a sleek UX and a UI for a rage quit to happen. A lot of other times though, DAOs don't really appreciate when there are activist investors who say we want to exit a project and they're not really eager to help facilitate that happening cleanly. So, you know, in a perfect world, people who are members of DAOs are arguing in many different ways. When there's a popular opinion, it can be implemented. I don't know how much of a precedent this will set, but it is really quite compelling to see this happening in real time. I'm only wondering like what what happens if 50%, 60% of nouns take this offer? Like could this keep snowballing to the point where the fork is actually bigger than the remainder. Like that's there's that's only a 10% away. So, I mean, is this a fork in the sense that
1: there's going to be a new entity that's going to take the name of nouns now? It's going to be like Bitcoin Cash was for a Bitcoin.
0: I, w- I wouldn't say so. So, what happens to the in the fork, the nitty gritty of it is the 20% threshold. So, the 20% of all nouns NFTs that say we want to go, well, they're put into an account those NFTs are put into account that will be controlled ultimately by the treasury of nouns DAO, the main protocol. The main protocol will keep whatever percent of the treasury is left over. So if 20% of nouns are leaving, then 20% of the treasury leaves with them. What happens to that treasury in the new side entity? I'm not quite sure, but the canonical nouns DAO will remain the one that isn't saying we want out. So Danny, uh, you
1: you cover DAOs extensively, and it seems like every week on the show you bring a new tale of woe from the DAO space uh, to our our eardrums here. Is this another example of uh, why we should be worried about DAOs, about how DAOs are not living up to their promise? Or as you say, is this an example of DAO democracy working as it should?
0: Well, it's certainly an example of DAO democracy. I don't know if it's working as it should. And it really, then, to your first question, is a matter of perspective. If you're an activist investor who ascribes to the belief, well, in a DAO, in a decentralized autonomous organization, every investor, every holder of the asset has power, then it makes sense to say, well, if those investors aren't dissatisfied, then they should get their money and go. If you're, let's say, a contributor to a DAO, or maybe a more passive investor advocate, Fan of whatever the project is doing, you might not be so amenable to this idea of the out of towners coming in saying, We want the money and we just want to go, right? So I don't know which is the right answer. What's cool about NounsDAO is that they baked in their own solution into how it would actually operate. And that's completely new, at least in what I've seen. Sometimes there are these weird semi sham votes. This one had a vote and people participated, and this is the outcome that they voted for and now that they're implementing. I, it's worth noting from the perspective of the developers, I watched a video of them talking about the possibility of a rage quit. They were describing it as a win-win at the time. Now, I, that was about two weeks ago before this actually happened. I don't know if that they've, they're going to change their tune now, but... They were thinking of this as a good opportunity, or at least talking publicly about this as a good opportunity to let people who are dissatisfied out and let the remainder carry on. My question is, how much of a remainder will there be to carry on?
1: Watch this space and uh, watch Danny Nelson's reporting on this. It's
0: unrivaled. Uh, thank you very much, Danny. Well, you know, that's that's the word of the show. Do whatever you want to do. But please, Make sure that one of those things are liking our podcast, giving us a nice fat five star review and a written one, too, on Apple Podcasts and uh, following us on Twitter or just the Coin Us Podcast Network on Twitter. That's where you can find us. That's where you can find the show. Thanks for listening this week. We'll be back soon with more excellent content from the crypto world.
1: All right. Bye.
0: Carpe Consensus is a Coindesk production, executive produced by Jared Schwartz and produced and edited by Eleanor Paul. Have any questions or comments? Email us at podcasts at coindesk.com. Subject line, Carpe Consensus. Thanks for listening and see you next week.